Good morning. It is uh, great to be with you again this morning as he's stepping off stage. Although the Cowboys are no longer in the playoffs, isn't it great to see a Steelers fan wearing the great DeMarcus Ware jersey? We love you, Chris. It's great to be with you. My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the Parks Church. And um, really uh, grateful and uh, excited uh, to begin uh, this new teaching series in the book of Daniel with you. And if you're new with us, um, by the way, I see a lot of new faces. And so I'm going to go ahead and prepare you that at the end of the service, I'm going I'm to say that I'm going to be down front here and would love an opportunity to meet you. And so I'm looking out in the crowd and seeing all of the faces that are going to ignore that request and just make your way out. So I want, I'd love a chance to meet you if I haven't had an opportunity to do that. But if you are new with us, um, it's our habit and practice to sort of work our way through books of the Bible and periodically in seasons as we just finish the, uh, uh, the new year in Advent and then going into the new year, we take short breaks from that. But more often than not, if you come into the Parks Church about 90% of the time or more, you're going to just find us uh, sort of working our way through books of the Bible. And so uh, the good news is, is that you're here at the beginning. And so um, I just want to encourage you um, and, and commend to you to make a commitment with your family to gather with the saints week in and week out and walk with us uh, through this series. Um, it is, uh, I'm really excited about uh, all that God has been just teaching me as I've prepared and we've studied uh, this book. Um, and I, 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 I just trust and believe that uh, the timing of us studying this, this book is, is perfect for uh, just where we find ourselves in the, in the culture, in our community, and just the, even the season of our church. And so uh, I, I want to encourage you um, to, to be a part. And if you do happen to miss, just in case you aren't aware of this, we do uh, record these, which scares me half to death most of the time. Uh, but you can uh, jump on our podcast and you can download that or subscribe to that and you can catch up in, uh, in the midst of travels or anything else going on so you can stay with us week in and week out. Before we jump into Daniel... I just want to piggyback on Kyle's announcement about our community night and uh, get to know the parks and really encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, a good friend of mine just yesterday reminded me of a quote from a, a great pastor, Todd Wagner, uh, down in Dallas, and he says that community is forged, it is not found. And uh, so often we come into church and we think that we will just find um, our best friends in all of those relationships, and very often the Lord provides those. But let me just encourage you and tell you that true community and deep relationships, encouraging relationships, relationships where we can walk beside one another and fight against sin and, and all of those things, that takes effort. Uh, that takes, uh, we have to decide to fight for that. And if you think about any of the great relationships in your life, my guess is that at times there were some hard seasons and some valleys and you had to fight for that relationship. And so um, community night is just a, a simple way for us as a church family to, to, to sort of fight together, to forge 
deep relationships with one another. So I want to encourage you to uh, go to one of those two houses tonight and um, connect with some other folks in this room. It is also one of the best missional outreaches that you have. As if you wanted to invite your friend to kind of come and see what we're doing here at the Parks Church, I'll just tell you, invite them to come to community night first before you might even bring them to a Sunday morning so that they could see the people of God loving one another, caring for one another, encouraging one another, and through that they might say, that is appealing to me, I, I need that. And then when you bring them here to gather with us in worship, it might uh, make a little more sense about what it is that we do. And obviously, our Get to Know the Parks, if you're new, as Kyle said, um, and you just want to catch up on the history, that's your place to go. Come to my house tonight. I'd love, again, a chance to meet you and spend that time together. So that is my um, announcement for that. Daniel, you know, the world is becoming increasingly hostile. Um, we don't have to, I don't have to tell you that, you know, it seems that, uh, you know, when I was a child, I remember hearing my parents, uh, my grandparents talk about how negative, how messed up things are. You can't turn on the news because if you turn on the news, all you hear are bad things and it seems like that's even increasing as, as I've grown older and just the brokenness and all of the challenges that exist in our world. We just see hostility all around us. We see hostility not just on the news, but we see it in our own homes. We see it in our neighborhoods, in our schools, and just, just increasing hostility. And we haven't been removed from our homes, as you heard Daniel, as Michael read for us, Daniel and his friends were removed from their home. We haven't been removed from our homes, but it's becoming much more clear, much more evident, I think, that the thing that preachers have said for a very long time, for, on Sunday mornings for probably centuries on end, that we are exiles living in a foreign land. That this place, this world, this even, yes, this city, this state, this country is not our home. For the Christian, this is not the place that we call home. It's not the place that is where we find and put all of our hopes and our dreams and we anchor our hearts to. In America, of course, it's been harder for us. We've been slower to believe that this place is not our home because we've felt for a long time since our founding somewhat at peace. Our nation founded on Judeo-Christian values makes it seem like, well, this place isn't our home, but if I had to live anywhere, if I want to put all of my hopes and dreams in something, this is probably the best place to put it. But more and more, the hostility, the reality that we cannot anchor our souls, anchor our hearts and our hopes and dreams to this place is becoming true. We are hearing more and more an understanding, I hope, more and more that we are meant, the Christian is meant to find our home and to find our hope and to put our, our, all of our dreams within the kingdom of God. This week, the events of this week remind us so clearly of the brokenness and the fact that this place is not our home. This nation founded on those Judeo-Christian values now authorizing in one of our states the murder of babies up until the day before they're born. This place is not our home. And I just want to speak to that a moment. We're living in a time 
when the atrocities of Herod will become less and less violent to us, less and less crazy, less and less amazing to us, because in our own nation, we have people who celebrate the murder of babies, celebrate a new law being passed that allows children, abortion to happen up until the day before a child is born. It's become big business. It sickens me to say those words, but it's become big business, the murder of children. What's convenient for me is all that matters in our country. I am what is most important. What is true for me, that I am my own God, is what this world sells. What this world tells us. So if I want to kill my baby, I can. And it can't be evil. Just in case there's any question about that, because of just the, the nature of this week in the news, I want you to just hear from me that it's murder when we kill babies. There's no other word for it. It's murder. God is the giver and sustainer of life. I remember very vividly, Laurel and I, when we were young in our marriage, some good friends of ours who were, became pregnant. And within just a couple of months, it was told to our friend that her baby would not live. And many doctors had many interests and objectives to share with her. But she carried her baby all the way to term, knowing that upon its birth that its likelihood of living was very small, very bleak. She delivered her baby. That baby passed away on its birthday. Laurel and I attended his funeral. And all the while, while this was heartbreaking, God was glorified through it all. God created that child. That baby is with Him today. And our friends understood that they were not God. He is sovereign. They had no choice but to walk through that deep and dark valley that God was leading them through and to trust Him in it. And He was glorified as they did. So often I've heard of other stories of babies who were told by doctors that they were unsustainable and yet are alive and well today. You can go and read story after story after story of lives of children who are now adults who survived even the attempted abortion on their lives. I look out at Jenny Murray, one of our nurses in our community. I can just imagine the stories that she could tell you about babies who had no hope in the world and who are thriving today because of the medical community and ultimately because God is the sustainer and giver of life. And so we have to just be vocal in our stand for life. We can't sit back on the sidelines in this fight, friends. We have to be vocal about it. We also must come alongside mothers who are facing uncertain circumstances. If we are to be a people who stand for life 
and who cry out at the atrocities of their murder, which we should, we also have to be a people who will come and stand beside mothers who are facing uncertain circumstances, who are dealing with the pain and, the, and, and just, we can't even imagine. Some of you can't imagine, I know. I can't. I don't want to, to, to assume but I know the challenges, the fears, the anxiety, all of the things that come along with facing a pregnancy when you don't know exactly what you're going to do. And the church of Jesus Christ has a responsibility to come and stand alongside those mothers and say, we are with you. We will not leave you because our God has called us to be that type of people. This is why we so passionately and eagerly support our Hope Women's Center our, crisis, our most local crisis pregnancy center, we have volunteers who serve there and financially we give there because we want mothers to know we are for you. We are going to come alongside of you. And I just want you to hear from me, if you ever find yourself or if one of your friends, your family members ever find yourself facing a situation where you don't understand, they don't know what they are going to do. I want you to know that I and our church will stand with you. You are not alone, and we will do everything within our human power to ensure that you're cared for and that you don't face a decision of life or death for your child or for your friend's child. We have to be passionate about coming alongside these mothers. We also have to pray. We have to be a people of prayer. We gather on the second Sunday of every month to pray because we recognize that we're small and we are powerless without the power of God working through us. And as we gather together for pray corporately and as we pray individually, I just want to invite you and encourage you. We need to pray for the state of New York and really we need to pray for states all over this nation who are pursuing laws and following suit with what was passed this week. We need to pray for the state, and we need to pray for its churches. There's only one person who transforms hearts. That's God, Jesus Christ. He is the one who convinces a heart to not pursue abortion. He is the one that convinces a heart to choose life. He's the one that takes a heart of stone that would otherwise do that, turns it into a heart of flesh, and begins to shape it into his child. And so we need to pray for the churches of New York that are up in that state proclaiming the gospel week in and week out, living out this calling. They are in a very hard place, as ultimately you can imagine, and we see firsthand. This is why our partnership with the Acts 29 Network, a church planning network, again, why are we partnered together? So that we can plant churches, even if it's just by extension, some through our financial giving, other potentially one day we'll have an opportunity to go to some of these places. But the reason that we partner together with other churches is so that we can see more churches planted in New York because there's only, again, the only real hope for change in that state is the church of Jesus Christ. That Jesus would come in and would transform lives, transform hearts, and show himself. And finally, again, just this idea as we step into Daniel, being reminded that we are exiles, that this place is not our home. The news of this week just affirmed that. But as we're speaking specifically to this subject, I want you to hear this, sisters in Christ. Perhaps you've been a part of an abortion. Brothers in Christ, perhaps you've been a part of that decision. I want you to hear clearly, as clear as you've heard anything to this point, 
there is no unpardonable sin. Abortion is not the sin that says you can no longer be a part of my family. The gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful enough. His grace outlasts any of our sins. It extends beyond our reach to do wrong or to go against His will. And so I want you to hear there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do not hear anything I say about our advocacy for mothers our passionate stance for life, any of those things to say that you are less loved, less worthy, less cared for, any of those things. Jesus would simply call you to repent, to turn your life over to Him, and see that He makes all things new. I don't want you to hear the lie from the enemy that would say that you're condemned because of a decision that you made at some point in your past. Again, there are so many places from Hope Women's Centers to other resources that we're connected with through a church, that if you're walking through and perhaps maybe this news this week has just relit some grief in your heart from something in your past, I want you to know that we will walk with you through that. We want to love you through that. That's what the body of Christ is for. And so this news is just one example of the fact that we are exiles living in a foreign land, that this place is not our home. But here's the reality. We didn't get here overnight. We didn't just arrive here. We got here as a people because we have believed more that I am the center of the world, that I am the director of my ship that I make my own truth, that I control my own destiny, that I just follow my heart, that Jesus is just my co-captain, that the Bible is just a playbook, that I might run the play should it fit what I want to do in the moment. We've believed all of those lies where we put ourselves ahead of God. These are the slogans of America. If you think about our nation, it's all about me and I and what I want. This land that we love is a broken land, but it wasn't an ever, ever intended to be our home. And so for the Christian, we have to remember that it's not about me. It's not about I. We are citizens of another kingdom with a greater king, King Jesus. And if we would start to live now, if we would recognize now our situation we would stop believing this sort of putting the veil over our eyes and just kind of sort of hoping against hope that this, this, this place is our home. If we would better, if we would recognize that we are a part of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is greater and it's the only kingdom that will last and that we serve a greater king and that we don't serve this nation, then we would be prepared for all that we face. We would be prepared for the circumstances and the brokenness and the hard things that come our way. And this is why the book of Daniel is so applicable to where we find ourselves today. Because as we dive into this book, we're going to see in Daniel, we're going to see a man and some friends who are obedient to God. And they saw God's faithfulness. But see, faithfulness to God wasn't something that they could just muster up in the moment. You know, there's a reason that our military... They train and train and train and they train some more. And then when they're done training, they push pause for a couple days and then they go back and they train some more. 
And they train, and so many of our first responders know that same story. You just train and train and train, and for many of you, I'm sure you've, if you've experienced this, you're thinking, this is so boring. Why do we have to keep doing this over and over and over again? It's because by training ourselves to face the battle, training ourselves to go into the circumstances where life and death is on the line, we are prepared. We don't have to think about what to do. It just becomes second nature. Our military doesn't just step into the battle with their rifles aimed and think that they're going to hit the target. Our first responders don't do the same. No, they train and they train and they train until their actions become second nature. And for the Christian, our responsibility, our calling is to recognize that this home is not our land, that we are exiles, that we are foreigners, that everything about this world should be a little bit odd to us and us a little bit odd to it because of the way we live our lives. We should look so different in our practices, our daily habits, the way we live our lives. The fact that we gather every Sunday morning, yes, gather every Sunday morning and shun the world and say no to those things so that I can be with the people of God, yes, that sounds odd. It sounds, for many of us, a little bit crazy. But that's what we're called to do so that when we face, and as we see through the news this week, the hostility becoming increasing and increasing and increasing. And for our children, especially the youngest of them, brothers and sisters in Christ, if we're not preparing them today for the battles they will face, they will find themselves at a loss. And so if not for yourselves, who potentially we might not live long enough to see all of the, the fruit of this lost and broken world for our children, training and preparing them to realize that this is not our home. We can't just muster up the strength in the moment for the battle. We have to be prepared for it. In this book, as we study the book of Daniel, we're going to see a man who was prepared for what God would lead him through. He had cultivated a love and obedience for God that prepared him for everything that he would face. And so, a quick intro to this book. Daniel, the book of Daniel, we know is written by a very real man named Daniel. A young man who lived in Judah, the kingdom of, of God's people, and was taken captive. And it was written at a time in his old age as he looked backwards on his life. Near the end of his life, he looked back and he saw all that God had done and he retold the stories of God's messages to him through dreams and visions. This book was written, one of the interesting things about this book is written in two languages. Written about a time right around, it was written in the 6th century, about a time in the 4th century. Excuse me, the 5th century. Written in two languages, the first, two, or the first chapter... And the last three chapters are written in the language of the Israelites, written in Hebrew. The middle chapters, chapters 2 through 7, are written in Aramaic. It's a very interesting note about this book. And Aramaic was the language of the day. It was uh, what is referred to as the lingua franca, the common man's language. They spoke Aramaic. And so what is believed is that Daniel in chapters 2 through 7 is essentially writing his memoirs. 
And just as you and I, if we wrote in our journal or if you journal, you probably might go back and reread your journal and it makes a lot of sense to you and all of the language is sort of your own. It's not necessarily, it's just your common language. It's not language to be published necessarily, but it's just the language of the day. That's what we have in the middle chapters, those two through eight. But the beginning chapter and the last three chapters are written in Hebrew and they're written to the people of Israel. The people who would read this letter who would have to be reminded that they were exiles. That they were members of a foreign kingdom. So, Daniel is set in a season where it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah. This king, Jehoiakim, was an evil king that was put in place by Pharaoh. Essentially set up as a king by Pharaoh. And so at this moment in history... And I know we might be thinking of Exodus and thinking, hey, Pharaoh wasn't our friend. But at this time in history, Egypt and Judah have formed an alliance. And Pharaoh, being the major ruler of the day, essentially sets up Jehoiakim as sort of a king of Judah, but he's underneath his power. Well, along comes this guy, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar has created power and wealth and is taking down kingdoms. And so he goes and attacks Egypt. He overthrows the Pharaoh, takes over Egypt, and then he makes his way up into Judah to Jerusalem and overthrows the Israelites. And so Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is building his kingdom. And all of this takes place around 605 B.C. So with him, after he conquers Jerusalem, he brings about 10,000 Judean citizens as slaves back to Babylon, his nation. As we read, the youngest and strongest of these slaves were brought into the king's court. See, this was normal practice. As a king or as a ruler would overthrow a people, he would take the people into captivity as slaves. He wouldn't just kill them all, but he would take them into captivity as slaves and he would just integrate them into their, his kingdom. And he would eliminate their culture. He would eliminate all that they knew. He wouldn't have to put them down. He would just essentially, that kingdom would just eventually evaporate from the history of the world because they would just be integrated into the people. And so then we meet Daniel. Daniel was about 15 years old when he was taken captive. A young man. Imagine this, students. 15 years old. Some of you are a little older than 15, and you're taken captive by a king. He's of royal blood. He is the pinnacle of his people. Notice what it says about these youths that were taken in verse 4. Or picking up in verse 3, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family and of nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. Here's a picture of Daniel for you. He's the bachelor Bear Grylls, Prince William, Jamie Foxx, Bradley Cooper all rolled up into one with a doctorate degree. I know, ladies. Sorry. He's got it all. He's the strongest. He's the wisest. He's the, he, is one of, he is the pinnacle of the Israelite youth. And so he's of the ruling class and he's taken into the king's court 
And it says in verse 5 that the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. And they were educated for three years. And at the end of the time, they were to stand before the king. You know, all that's happening to Daniel as this movement of God, as Nebuchadnezzar is taking them captive, it seems like a plot of a movie. These kids are taken captivity, into captivity by an evil king. They're given new names, forced to adopt all the traditions and the history of their captors. All that's missing is Liam Neeson calling and saying, I will find you, I will kill you. But we read there in verse 2 something very critical about this text. Something that we can't miss as we consider our role as exiles. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. He's talking about Nebuchadnezzar coming in to Jerusalem, the city of God, the land that God had promised to His people for centuries upon centuries, they're now inhabiting it. They're, they're fulfilling all of these promises that God has told them. And it says there in verse 2, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim. The word that Daniel uses for Lord is Adonai. It speaks to the sovereignty or the power of God. It's, when he says Lord, it's not just Lord like King, but it's this all-sovereign, all-powerful God is what he's saying when he says, and the Lord gave. The Lord allowed all of this to take place. But wait, this seems like something bad happening to the people of God. How do we reconcile that? Daniel's book is going to give us a great hope as we're reminded that earthly kingdoms will come and go under the Lord's sovereign hand. But God's kingdom lasts forever. Yes, God gave Daniel and his friends and gave the city and the land of his people into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. But think about this. We wouldn't have this story of hope for people living as exiles in a foreign land if God had not allowed Daniel to go through this season, this trial, and all of his people with him. And so we're going to be reminded, and one of the things that we can be reminded by this verse when it says, and the Lord gave, is that God's ways are higher than our ways. In the midst of our circumstances, we begin to find ourselves with more or less joy, more or less happiness, feeling better about our situation. But this book, I, I, my prayer and what it's done for me has reminded me, and I hope reminded all of us, that our joy, our happiness, our circumstances cannot be, cannot be found within our circumstances. I misspoke there. Our joy, our happiness, the way we feel about our lives cannot be contingent upon our circumstances, because it's very clear that the Lord will take us through valleys as He's leading us to peaks. We will have ups and downs. Of course, this is proven to us as we just imagine and consider our own Savior's life. He was killed. He was mocked. He was beaten. All so that He would be glorified, so that we could be redeemed. Some of you remember I mentioned last weekend that I just returned from Israel. 
And one of the most powerful experiences as I stood in Israel is we were taken to Caiaphas' house. Caiaphas, the chief priest that Jesus was brought to from the garden as he was taken to his first trial. And we went down under Caiaphas' house because Caiaphas was of wealth. He had a dungeon in his home. Now never mind that he's a priest and had a dungeon. That's just hard to reconcile these days. If you're coming to get to another parks, I don't have a dungeon. But we went down into the dungeon. The dungeon that very likely Jesus was held in the night that He was betrayed. And we were able to spend time just considering all that Jesus endured given into Caiaphas and Pilate's hand by the Lord, the Sovereign God, submitted to that in complete obedience. It was a very powerful and moving experience. As a side note, I want, you to, I want to encourage you, one of the things that we did while we were there is we, we read Psalm 88 standing in this dungeon. And we won't do this this morning, but this afternoon when you go home, I want you to just close your eyes, imagine yourself standing or sitting in a very dark, wet, smelly, death-infested dungeon and read Psalm 88, the words of Jesus, essentially, as He's there, abandoned, forgotten by His friends, betrayed. Yes, God leads us through valleys, allows us to be, find ourselves, even as Daniel potentially enslaved in a foreign land for His glory, for His purposes. And so, Daniel is now in Babylon. And what does the king do? We read it just a moment ago. The king assigned them new food. He gave them new education, it says, to be educated for three years. All that they were supposed to do gives them new names. Nebuchadnezzar wants to indoctrinate these young people into his ways. As we said, you don't wipe out a people by killing them. You wipe out a people by causing them to forget who they are. You know, this is the same game that the enemy plays with us. He's caused us as exiles to forget. And yes, the freedoms that we have enjoyed, our history as a nation and some of those things have played right into His hands because we've been lulled to sleep. We've been lulled to sleep to believe that this place is surely our home. That this place is of most value. And we've forgotten that no, in spite of all of the blessings that we have received, all of the favor of God in our lives to be free people, to have the, the history that we have. Although when you stand in the history of Israel and it's thousands of years old and you compare it to the 200 years that we've got, it's not much history at all. But he, he, the enemy has just lulled us to sleep and he's caused us to forget who we are. He's replaced our diet of his word with a word that can be surmised in 140 characters at a time. A world that tells us its own truth. He's trained us to believe that we are the center of the world, that we are sovereign, that He is not. 
that we can trust ourselves over anyone else. How often have we heard the phrase, trust your heart, follow your heart, do what your heart tells you to do. And I've said this before in this place, but it's worth remembering and being reminded of. My heart is sinful. My heart leads me astray. My heart did not choose God. God chose me in an obedience to Him and His call on my life. I am able to do anything that is good. But when I listen to myself, when I listen to my heart, and I just, want to, I just want to test you in this. This afternoon when you go home and someone cuts you off in traffic, does your heart say, bless you, brother and sister? I'm just going to confess to you that my heart says, no. My heart says, I will track you down. I will find you. I will kill you. That's what my heart says. My heart is not worth following. Jesus is worth following. In the world, the enemy has convinced us that we are the center. That's how the events of New York take place this week. Because month after month, day after day, year after year, the enemy has been convincing us to believe these lies. And guess what? Do they sound familiar? They should. They sound like the same lie that he began with all the way back in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. Did God really say? And he'll say that to you. Did God really say that you should anchor your life to his word? Did God really say that I saved you into a community of believers that could come walk with you, beside you, encourage you, and bless you? Or are you just better off doing this thing on your own? Did God really say that you should submit all of your possessions and everything in your life to Him? Or did He say, just give me this little window of time? Did God really say that you should lay down your life for your neighbor? Did God really say that you should love that person as you love yourself because I've proven you how much I love you first? Did God really say all of that? And there, I could go on and on and on. We don't have a Cowboys game, but I know some of you are hungry. <laughs> the lies of the enemy just continue playing in our heads. Did God really say? We're not going to get there this morning, but in verse 8, just as a sort of teaser for next week, Daniel says in verse 8, but Daniel resolved. Daniel resolved. Brothers and sisters, there's hope. Hope will come through this story that we study of Daniel. And the hope is centered on remembering who God is. The hope is centered on remembering that we are exiles. That this place is not our home. We will focus through this study on God's character and His ways and be encouraged ourselves to say, we resolved to put God in His rightful place. To trust Him. 
Here's what we know. And what the book of Daniel will further tell us. Kingdoms of man will come and go. Evil will be dealt with. The kingdom of God will stand forever. And you and I, if we are found in Christ, are members of this kingdom. The kingdom of God that will last forever. And so you want to know why it's important, young people, to understand this? To yes, to pay attention, to be just all in on this word? is because everything that you put your hope in in this world will fail you, will turn to dust. But the kingdom of God will last forever. You think in this moment, because I thought when I was sitting in your chair that you're invincible, that this book is of no value to you. But hear God say, my kingdom will last forever. And we have to be prepared, brothers and sisters, prepared for the further and further breakdown and reality that we are just exiles. Let's put our hope in the kingdom that will last forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that according to your perfect will, you've brought us together this morning to hear from you, to open up your word and just begin to get a glimpse of the hope that you will give us as we study your word together. And I pray, I pray, Lord, that you would help us in this season speak through this book to remind us that we are exiles. That yes, this is not our home. To be reminded that this place is broken. I know we hear it in the news, but so often we just tune that stuff out and we just need to, we need to acknowledge in the depths of our souls that we are, we are in a foreign land. So I pray that through our time, through this next season, these next few months, that you would help us to put our hope in its rightful place, to put our hope in you, Lord Jesus. To, to better understand and recognize our circumstances. Just as Daniel understood, you gave him supernatural wisdom to, to be aware of all that Nebuchadnezzar was trying to do, and he resolved to be obedient to you above all the things that his world demanded of him. And so I pray that we as a people of God would be resolved, that through the equipping of your word, we would be able to be resolved to be obedient to you above all else. And that even as we we watch the news and we see the world around us seemingly sometimes crumble beneath our feet, that we would be filled with hope that yes, kingdoms of man come and go. You've set them up and taken them down for century upon century, Lord God. But your kingdom lasts forever. So I pray that we would put our hope, we would, put, we would determine and decide through the power of your Spirit that we are going to be 
exiles, members of the kingdom of God, and that our loyalties will lie with you and you alone. Help us to be that type of people, God. We will not do that following our own hearts. We will not do that empowered by our own flesh. That will only happen as you move through us, as your spirit moves in us, equips us, strengthens us, encourages us, emboldens us to live for you. And right now, God, as a people, with the reality of this world just fresh in our face, we, we grieve, Father. We repent for our sins. And we acknowledge that as a nation, we have left you. So we just grieve the news of this week coming out of the state of New York. God, I pray for every mother in that state that right now is wrestling with unbelievable and perhaps unbearable decisions and circumstances. Right now, Holy Spirit, would you come and meet them right where they are? Would they sense the Spirit of God wrapping your arms around them wherever they may be sitting? From train station to homes to places of business to churches, wherever those mothers find themselves in this very moment, God, you see them, you know every hair on their head, and I ask in Jesus' name that you would intervene in their lives, that you would show them who you are, that you would give them hope. And God, I pray that your people, your church, would, would recognize and would be just empowered by your spirit to take up the battle of fighting for these mothers, for loving them. God, we pray that you would transform hearts and we know that that only comes as the gospel is proclaimed. And so I pray for my brothers in the city of New York, the state of New York right now, that in this very moment are proclaiming your truth to the people Lord, I pray that your gospel would shine brightly in those churches, that your people would be equipped to go out into their communities and love radically. Lord, would you help us as a faith family to know how we can come alongside those mothers, how we can come alongside the church, how we can come alongside places like Hope Women's Center to stand with them, for them, to intercede in prayer on their behalf. God, we, we grieve these events, but again, we trust and acknowledge that you are God. And so we need you to move. Help us, God, right where we are in this city to be faithful to whatever it is that you put in front of us. Help us to be faithful people. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for this time together. We praise you. We do it all in your holy name. The name of Jesus. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city, about a person.